Hey everyone, hey and welcome back to yet another episode of Alpha Metallica. This is your host, Tom Quee here. And today is a momentous episode for a momentous occasion. SM2 just went down at the time of us recording this. Um, just over a week ago or so, this of course was the sequel to the legendary uh, Cayman Metallica collaboration where they had the symphony orchestra with the boys. And yeah, you know, we, we know that record. We've gone through that record. Uh, check out the old episodes in the past. And, you know, to most people, it is a beloved, beloved uh, album. And it happened again. S&M 2 went down to commemorate the opening of the Chase Center in San Francisco. Now, I obviously wasn't there. And I've watched bits and bit bits and bobs on YouTube, but for the most part, I'm kind of saved myself slightly to go to the cinema release. I'm very, very grateful that Metallica are bringing it to Oxford. The cinema's like 10 miles cycle away from my house. So yeah, I'm definitely going to go down there, uh, going to rope in a few friends from work. But I do have a guest today who was in the room as it went down. I am, um, I just, I, I can't put into words how jealous I am. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> like I just, I'm, I'm boiling with envy right now. <laughs> and um, just before we get to the guest and, and the show itself, the first night of the show, uh, follow us at MetallicaPod, MetallicaPod at gmail.com if you want to come on the show. Obviously, all the song slots are done. But if you want to do something like today, you know, recap, uh, you know, a show or, or look back on some, some history in Metallica that you have with them or not, or you just want to discuss when they're in Estonia in 99 or something like that, I'm all ears for that. I'm all down for that. Patreon is there. Uh, if you enjoy the show, want to get back to the show, the episodes go on there first. You get an RSS feed dedicated. So, you know, for instance, uh, Whiskey in the Jar, we've recorded that like three months in advance because Randy's getting married. Uh, you know, congratulations to Randy. So that's on there. That's on there like, you know, uh, 90 days before it would drop on the normal channel or whatever like that. But um, yeah, today we are joined by someone that I had on before for Ride the Lightning. Great episode. And now again to discuss SNM2. Todd, how's it going? Ah, uh, fantastic. How are you? Very well. And uh, talk to me about the show getting announced like when you heard about this was this an insta buy for you oh i i in the history of my life there has never been a more insta buy than me it, no matter what happened i was going to be at that show because the uh the, the the original one is such a pivotal uh piece of you know a piece of work for me uh, it just introduced me to the band even though i'm a kid from the 80s mm -hmm. I, I i was a maiden fan and dio and priest and queens and all those bands but for some reason i never got into metallica i just thought they were kind of more thrashy than i uh than i had liked at the time growing up and so when snm came out the first note off that dvd that i bought i i was in and i've listened to it probably 70 percent of all the days of my life uh, since that, uh, since it was released 20 years ago. Wow. So when this was announced, I was, I was elated. I had to be there and was fortunate enough to get tickets through the regular, yeah. uh, release, which is amazing to me because there were so many problems with people being able to buy tickets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and they did the second day to accommodate the fans. So this was that the, the, the following day, was it this, was it like a Friday, Sunday thing? How did they, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Friday, Sunday. Friday, Sunday. So, so yeah, you just just went through the legal means. Like, I, I didn't think that was possible. Like, yeah. are, are you a bot? Like, how did you do it? <laughs> no, well, I live in San Diego. This con uh, concert's obviously up in the Bay Area. But me and my son, uh, who was away at college but was back in San Diego at the time, we literally sat at the table and kept hitting refresh and you can only buy two tickets and we kept hitting refresh as the minutes led up to when whatever it was 10 a.m the tickets go on sale and i hit refresh two tickets popped up two tickets popped up for him miraculously so we just bought them and thought wow that was pretty easy and then i went on the forums and the reddit group and all the discussion <laughs> afterwards about an hour and everybody was incensed and i was almost embarrassed i never posted or anything right. gloating that i got tickets i didn't want to be you know cast out and shunned but it was there were so many problems with people buying tickets that obviously a few days later they announced the second show mm -hmm. which actually made me a little bit jealous because then that was for fan club members only but i yeah. wasn't going to complain I had the tickets, and uh, and I've been looking forward to it ever since. I think that was back in March, I believe. Something so around it was a that. long wait. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't that long ago though. They could have they could have announced this like a year ahead, couldn't they? Like they did, sure. they didn't give oh. too much time. And um, I haven't double checked, but the set lists were exactly the same, weren't they, both nights? Yes. Yeah, it was. So. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. 
which I kind of predicted because it's a chore to learn songs yeah. Yeah, to definitely. create the music for the symphony. I mean, obviously Metallica can play whatever they want, mm-hmm. but to get the symphony involved in the creation of the score and all that, I didn't think there were going to be any changes from the first night no. to the second night. No, you wouldn't think so. I mean, may, I don't know, maybe they might take something out that didn't work or whatever, but from the reviews and, you know, I'm sure as we're going to get into it, I heard it was a, a magnificent, legendary night. But talk to me about, <laughs> um, you know, getting down there, like a little bit of a drive for you, like the night before. How was that whole journey? Yeah, I actually flew up uh, Wednesday. Um, I have one of my best friends in the world lives up there. He was going to go with us to the concert. My son now lives up there. He just got married a few months ago and is living up there for a little bit while his wife finished school. So he had the other two tickets. Uh, We met. uh, My son came to pick me up at the San Jose airport, which is just south of San Francisco. And we immediately made the drive up the east side of the San Francisco Bay to go visit the Metallica mansion, Mm. uh, the Metallica mansion where they wrote Ride the Lightning and they wrote and practiced and rehearsed and finished Master of Puppets. And so that was kind of a little bit of a a journey to Mecca for me. And it's a little awkward walking around the front of somebody's house, like taking pictures, you know, because people live there now, but I'm sure they're used to it. So we kind of made a quick pass, you know, to and in front of, walked by and took a couple pictures. Is is there any plaques or anything? Is there anything commemorating it or? No, not that I saw, no. It's it, it's the the house has been remodeled a little bit, so it's got a nice fresh coat of paint. From what I understand, the garage, the historic garage that used to they used to practice in, was in the back. That's been torn down, and there's actually a little bit of a, a an apartment complex back there. Um, so yeah, we just kind of made a quick pass mm-hmm. in front of that and took a couple pictures. People actually walked out as we were leaving, so I got to see who actually lives there. And I'm, I remember thinking, man, those are some lucky people. Yeah. It would be nice. I want to go in there just to see, but of course you don't want to bother the people that live there. No, no, but I mean, like, like over here, like, uh, John Lennon's birth house is in the National mm-hmm. Trust, and it's a museum, and it's like low key. That should be yeah. a fucking tourist destination. That should be on. Tri- <laughs> that should be on TripAdvisor at least. Like, absolutely, yeah, no doubt. Uh, so then from there, we went over to Rasputin. I'm not sure if you're familiar with what Rasputin is. It's a world famous record store. They, they did the um, live how- show there, right? Exactly. Yep. They did the record store day there, I think, in 2006. And mm-hmm. I love that, that Great clip on concert. YouTube. I yeah. watch that thing all the time. So I wanted to go in there and just kind of see where was the stage, where did they set up. And it's kind of a miracle how they set that up because the, the place is packed with just, you know, uh, obviously all the, the stuff that they're selling. And so they must have had to move all that out to set up the stage in kind of the corner uh, for them to play. And I, I pulled up the video to see where they were playing. And even the stuff on the wall behind them is still there. So that was kind of cool. Uh, that was our two little, uh, you know, kind of historic trips that I wanted uh-huh. to make. And they're not that far from each other, too. Mm. So it was not that tough. And then hooking up with the with the fan club, did you meet any fellow fans the night before? Or Yeah, that was great. We went to the Tommy's Joint Party. And it was funny. You know, I kept wanting to get everywhere early. Uh, well, we got there too early, the Tommy's Joint. But the, one of the waiters led us upstairs where they had the room reserved. So me and, the, you know, my three, you know, my wife, my son and my buddy Mitch, we were the first three, we were the first four people even up in that room. So we found a good table and uh, there were some fans drinking down at the bar, went and said hi to them a little bit and had a couple drinks and uh, and just kind of waited for the people to start filling in. I think I kind of missed a lot of the legendary Metallica fans that you hear about, you know, on the Metal Up Your podcast, the Sarah Sobeck and some of these other people that Chris I Yerges think ended up and, Yeah, all these exactly, icons. Yes. Yeah. I think they all got there like after we left. Yeah. The party was supposed to start at seven. We got there around six and probably left around nine or ten. And I think all of the fun happened after we left. <laughs> so I'm kind of bummed out about that. But uh, we still had a great time. Met a bunch of people from all over the world, from Denmark, from Europe, from uh, from Asia. We met a, a group of fans from Asia. So it was a lot of fun just meeting people. And uh, we even got some uh, – the, the woman that organized it, I think her name is Jen, she came – uh, bearing a lot of gifts for people like pics and mm. autographed pictures and set lists from shows. So she gave me a, a autographed picture of the guys and a pic, and that was really generous. Uh, so we had a really good time. And then, I mean, could you sleep the night before? Like, that's Christmas <laughs> Eve right there. Like. Yeah, it was. Yeah, we uh, no, I was. We were able to get a little bit of sleep, mm-hmm. and then uh, got up. It's 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 obviously a lot easier when the show's at night, so you don't have to get yeah. up early for anything. And and we were actually staying uh, south of San Francisco, uh, near my buddy's house. So we hopped on the train about one, I believe, because uh, I wanted to again. I wanted to get there early, of course. and we kind of just set up shop uh, right across the street from the venue. There was a a nice restaurant and bar, and we probably stayed there from about two until about 
right before 6.30 when the doors opened. And there was fans and music, met more fans from around the world. A big group of guys from Liverpool were there and hung out with them and took some pictures. And uh, it was a blast. The whole thing was taken over by Metallica fans. Obviously, they had the music going. The drinks were flowing. And uh, and that was a blast. And this is, of course, the commemorative series for the, the Chase Center, which looks Correct. like an incredible venue. I mean, America just has... We don't have these over here, these enormous domes, you know, these all-purpose sort of sport concert centers. Like, we kind of do, but they're not sort of on that level. Like, I mean, it looks like... I love the sort of the glass panel that's sort of cut at the front, and it looks a bit like the Guggenheim with the top roof as well. It's a nice building. Yeah, yeah, and we walked around a couple times, and my buddy uh, Mitch is a a Golden State Warriors season ticket holder from the old building. So he was really anxious to get to see the new building. So we kind of walked around and uh, it's, you know, it's a nice arena. It's very nice, but it's, and it's an arena. I mean, you guys will have plenty of those in, in, uh, in England, but uh, it is nice state of the art. We kind of went around to the other side because my buddy had heard that uh, it was going to be easier going in on the other side. There was one massive long line to get in on the side that we were on. On the other side, there were probably 10 or 15 lines that were much shorter and we got in pretty quickly uh, again, it's just kind of a party atmosphere with people waiting to get in and people dressed up. And, you know, it's funny. I kind of had uh, if you watch the original one, there's one guy in there that kind of has one of those tuxedo T-shirts. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to buy one of these tuxedo T-shirts. So I did. Yeah, there were a bunch of guys dressed up. Yeah, in that I, tuxedo think, <laughs> so. I think Chris Yerges. <laughs> yeah, he, he was rocking one as well. He sent me a photo. So, yeah, a lot of people would have had that uh, that, that, that similar prone. But um, so, yeah, this was the opening concert. I mean, I was doing a little bit of research actually and technically Metallica are not the first artist to play the Chase Center uh, apparently Stevie Wonder when they cut the ribbon uh, did a mini set oh. there but obviously this oh. is kind of the first like proper concert going down and when you look at like after Metallica like I think the Dave Matthews and John Mayer and you know Mumford yeah. and Sons I think are there like in two days or something El- like that. Elton John was Elton there John I believe was there. Rapper. Yeah, yeah, they had a big first week I think almost yeah. every night the first week they had a big concert there mm-hmm. so um, you know, getting in then like what was the vibe like well, it, you know, it's there's just such a, a vibe of anticipation. And the first thing everybody wants to do is get a look at the stage. Uh-huh. So you kind of rush in and you go straight for the for the little entrance into the to the bowl area. And you see that stage and you just you stand there and it. I think at that point, it really kind of hits you what you're about to see. And the stage setup, I, I don't know if you've seen it. It was kind of oh, yeah. two rings, an outer ring where the orchestra was and then an inner ring for the band to kind of hang out with drum Lars's drums in the middle but then they had on the inner ring they had four positions with mics and of course four wah pedals because Kirk cannot be without a wah pedal <laughs> then in the outer ring of the orchestra there were also four cutout spots with four microphones and four wah pedals there were eight it's it's amazing how tethered he is to that wah pedal there were eight wah pedals up there which is kind of the first thing i noticed so i kind of took a couple pictures and you see you start looking down i did not have seats on the floor ours were kind of in the uh, the upper section but in the front row of the upper section Mm -hmm. which was cool so you kind of just get a sense of the uh of the stage and took a couple pictures and uh you start to really feel the 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 anticipation because you you're like boy in in about an an hour and a half this thing is going to be packed and they're going to be on the stage and it's going to be go time and it gets to go time ecstasy of gold obviously opens it so what happens lights go down does the orchestra filter on stage are they already there in the pulpit or yeah, they start to filter on stage. You kind of know that they're not going to start until everybody's in position, so you know you still have a little bit of time. And, um, yeah, for me, obviously, you want to hear Ecstasy of Gold. It, it, I think I was in the minority, especially as I spoke to fans uh, during the intermission and around me, was I think most people wanted something different from the original one. Me, personally, I really just wanted every single song to be the exact same, which I knew it wasn't going to be. So when they, all I wanted to hear for sure was was Cthulhu, and I wanted to hear Outlaw Torn. I know you're not a big Outlaw Torn fan, but right. Outlaw Torn me on on the original one is such it was it's just a big moment for me uh-huh. so when they do when they do ecstasy of gold and you're sitting there thinking man i'm actually watching this song yeah. with an orchestra it's not a tape it's not a it's not you know recorded this is the actual orchestra playing it kind of sends a, a chill up and down your spine and then when that last couple notes end on that 
the band's there, the last notes kind of hang. And this is kind of a theme with every song. At the end of every song, you're kind of like, what's next? What's next? Mm. And as soon as James hits those first notes of Cthulhu, it just went, the crowd just goes bananas. I, I almost melted, you know, of yeah. course we're standing and all. And, uh, and they launched into Cthulhu and it was just fantastic. Everything you would dream it would be. And how, how was the sound? Because, I mean, I, I have no te- technical expertise in that round, but I imagine it's quite difficult to balance all those, you know, woodwind and timpanis with the electric guitar and such. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think they construct these arenas now with the, with the, uh, the acoustics in mind. I yeah. mean, when we were growing up in the 80s, like the San Diego Sports Arena here was just awful for mm. acoustics growing up i would go to concerts and i couldn't even you literally couldn't tell what song your <laughs> band was playing yeah yeah I'll... Iron maiden, i remember seeing iron maiden one time in like 1986 and we had floor seats and they were playing for like 10 minutes straight and i remember thinking well i don't know what song it is but it must be rhyme of the ancient mariner because that's like a 13 minute <laughs> song so which is one of my favorite songs you oh, great tell song, yeah. so They've, they've constructed these uh, arenas now with the acoustics in mind, so everything sounded fantastic. And, I mean, you must have had such a huge grin on your face as they're ripping into Cthulhu. Like. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of... Uh, I, your eyes can only look at one thing at a time. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to just be able to see everything. I wanted to watch James, but then I wanted to watch the violins, but then I wanted to watch the, the horn section, but then I wanted to watch Lars. So you kind of just... You know, it's it's almost like being a kid in a candy store. You you're just trying to watch everything, and what's that guy doing, and what's that guy doing, and and you're watching the conductor, and uh, it was uh, it was just a spectacular sight. And did they have any like screens? Obviously, they didn't have their cubes from hardwired, or was it more stripped back? Or so they had above the stage hanging, kind of like a mammoth chandelier, were four rings. Um, that of various size, a big giant one on the bottom, two smaller ones kind of offset and then offset at the top, uh, a medium sized one. And they were projecting images on that screen, but it, they weren't really images that you would stare up and look because the rings are kind of, uh, they're 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 narrow. You don't get a full picture, but you could see some of the stuff. They would close in on. They would get a close up of some of the musicians' hands or mm. the faces or whatnot. But it wasn't really a, a screen that you could look up and get a sense of what was going on. It really was more for atmospheric effect. And you know, with S and M two, they're putting in loads of the new songs from the albums that have occurred since the record dropped, and going back and sort of like a greatest hits really of tracks that really worked on the original. And on the you know back in ninety nine, Cthulhu kicked into Master. Now we have Cthulhu into Bells, which must have just been like your first sing along, really. And this song <laughs> always delivers. Yeah, that that's the easiest play in the room for yeah. uh, for Metallica or any Metallica cover band is is uh, Bell. So you're right. Is that the last few notes hang on Cthulhu, and again the anticipation because you don't know what the no, set list yeah. is. You can't go ahead and look and see. Okay, this is what they're probably going to play. Every song there's anticipation about what's a, what's to come next. I was hoping for them to go right into Master, uh, but nobody's complaining about Bells. And it was perfect. Yeah, the, the bunch of good sing along stuff, and uh, it was as good as it ever is, and ever is. And you've got the, the orchestra there, and, and that was really a uh, that was really a, a good audience participation because that was kind of like you said, the first chance for everybody to to join in. Did James say absolutely in the chorus? I, I did. No, I did not hear an absolutely. <laughs> okay. I think I I screamed it, but I never heard him scream it. <laughs> uh, and and James's and, vocals. And, uh, how how was he sounding? He sounded really good all night. Mm-hmm. There was one little part I'll get to later where I thought that he was uh, the, the, they tripped up a little bit. But no, this song was perfect. Uh, Robert and Kirk did the whole spider walk thing. Oh, yeah. Um, which I'm not really necessarily a fan of, but they only do it during Bells, so it sure. kind of looks cool when they do that bum, 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 mm-hmm. bum, you know, that part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does look cool. And, uh, yeah, as soon and then they did the, you know, the whole, like, where the song stops, it's the last time you will, yeah. and the whole arena goes dark and then explodes in light again. So, yeah, that was, that was a great song. And we get our first new song, you know, a song that yeah. made so much sense to come into the S&M family, The Day That Never Comes. Yeah, I was trying to predict the set list beforehand, and and I had a couple of surprises. I probably should have predicted this one, but yeah, uh, the band left the stage actually after uh, Bells, and James is just up there by himself, and you get that that guitar intro, and then Kirk comes up, and with the you know wow wow and then the, the the rest of the band comes and joins in. So uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. They both Kirk and James switched guitars. They both had Flying V guitars. Um, 
which is kind of weird for a, a, a slow song. If you you know if, yeah. if you're kind of a aficionado, you're used to seeing the the Flying V on these ripping songs, sure. you know, from various bands. So to see guys playing Flying Vs and kind of playing a mellow tune, that was a little bit unique, also. Uh, yeah, it was great. Um, I can't really say that the orchestra added a lot. They kind of just mirrored yeah. a lot of what the band was playing uh, until the end. They kind of started to separate. You know, Kirk has that great solo at the end, uh-huh. and then the orchestra started playing something a little more complimentary instead of just kind of mirroring along. So that was a great song. I, I really enjoyed that. I'm Did, glad they included that. Y- yeah, I mean, with that, it never comes to that. That kind of harmony part. Did they mimic that, or did they sort of like, yeah? Oh, that's cool. I think, yeah, I think they mimicked it, and then I think they kind of went off on their own a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the beginning of the song was kind of a mirroring, and then as they started to get into the more jammy stuff at the end, the orchestra kind of separated, and 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 that's what I like uh, is to see the two. I want to see the orchestra really complement yeah. uh, what the band is playing. I can't believe we're talking about S and M two, by the way. It just sort of hit me. This, <laughs> this actually happened. This actually went down. You were actually there, and uh, nice. "Memory Remains" was the fifth track. Obviously, we know memory kills with the orchestra backing. Yeah, that was so cool. And um, uh, you know, the the cool thing about the the st- the stage setup was the band really was able to kind of go down into the crowd where the first rows were because there was a, a setup for them with mics and everything mm-hmm. for them to go right down into okay, the cool. bottom of the stage, right down almost onto the floor. So uh, I know Kirk went down for the sing along that part where he's playing the that part and the crowd singing along. Yeah, yeah. That was fantastic. Yeah, so that was really great. Um, um, and that's obviously a song that uh, that kills every time with the audience participation. Of course, the last part, the Marianne Faithful part stuff, just went on forever. The crowd just kind of sings a lot. They'll just sing forever if you let them. Uh-huh. And uh, finally, they had to kind of cut them off and get to the next song. Which is confusion, which ironically yeah. confuses me uh, a little bit because – if you were to say, like, obviously they were going to play songs from Hardwired on the on on this live disc, and say something like Halo makes all the sense. Confusion wouldn't necessarily have been one of the ones I would have picked, you know. Not in a million years. Now they've been playing that song on the European tour recently, almost every night. Yeah. So I kind of thought uh, that they may play. It. In fact, I, I got to go back to the to the my prediction that I tweeted. I might have even included that because they'd been playing it so long. But in the original, they go from Memory Remains into uh, No Leaf Clover. That's right. So as those last few chimey notes of Memory Remains kind of wind down, I kind of was hoping to hear that bump, 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 uh-huh. you know, go into No Leaf Clover. But nope, they went into confusion. And I'm kind of with you that I would not have chosen that song uh, from that record. Yeah. But I gotta admit, it is a really good song, and I love Hardwired. I love almost every song on that 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 uh, album. It would be lower on my list. I really wanted to hear uh, Atlas or um, I'm a big Spit Out the Bone guy. Yeah. That would have been nice. I think, I think Dream but, No but, More. There's a lot of space yeah. in that song, you know, to be filled. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I was kind of disappointed when they went into confusion because I thought maybe they're not going to play No Leaf Clover because it was so perfect yeah. going from memory to No Leaf Clover. Um, but they ended up playing that later, which was which was great. But uh, but as far as confusion, you know what? I actually thought it worked pretty well. It's a really good song. So um, at the end of the night, as I look back, I really didn't have a complaint about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm intrigued. I mean, clearly they thought it had legs. And I'm glad it worked. And I haven't actually watched a clip of this online. So I might check this out afterwards just to see what they did. Because Confusion, you know, it's got a lot of kind of gnarled riffs in it. it it's quite note mm-hmm. heavy, you know. So I'm, so I'm interested to hear how they elaborated on the themes, the orchestra. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it'll be better once they release the DVD, uh, which yeah. I'm assuming they'll release that or oh, something course, where yeah. you can kind of – and you know what? Interestingly enough, I wonder if they'll do this. On the original DVD that I had that that, that, that started this whole thing for me, you, were, you, they, you had the ability to watch and listen to each individual member of the band. So you could oh, watch yeah. a song with just Lars, just James, just Kirk, just Jason at the time, or you could just watch and listen to the orchestra. It'll be interesting to know if they do release a DVD, which obviously they will, if they do the same thing where they give you the ability to just listen to each individual guy and or the orchestra. It would be nice to hear uh, just how the orchestra changed, maybe from the first one, but also these new songs, how it sounds. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to just hear the orchestra and no Metallica. 
Just, just yeah. like, just that their interpretations of it, and obviously sometimes you know where you aren't, sometimes it wouldn't really make sense because it's just garnish. But um, yeah, we push forward into another hardwired song. I mean, Moth into Flame really is the kind of it's just it's so reflective, it encapsulates so much of the hardwired era. You know, it's one of their most beloved songs of recent years. Th- th- this made sense to me. Of course, we're going to play Moth into Flame. Yeah, and you know what? My impression of this song here was it really was just Metallica playing Moth into Flame. I, I, okay. I thought that maybe, yeah, I thought that maybe the orchestra. This was probably the the song where the orchestra to me stood out the least. Yeah, was uh, was on this one. So it was really for me uh, Metallica playing Moth into Flame, which is a great song. I mm-hmm. loved it, uh, but I don't know that I don't know that it it really worked well specifically for for the orchestra. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's a very plosive, punchy song, isn't it? There's not much kind yeah. of reflective... Ne- not, not that the orchestra couldn't be heavy, as we've seen before, but yeah, maybe it was just, look, we've played this every night at all. We can do this in our sleep. If you guys want to put yeah. a bit of violin in the chorus, knock yourself out. like. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, like I said, it wasn't really a standout to me. That being said, I loved it. It's a great song. Loved watching them play it. But uh, I can't say that it was it was really a standout part for the orchestra. And did you? I mean, I I know you, your eyes are fixed on the crowd and all the different members, etc. But like, how, how was the crowd in general? People jumping in seats. Was there any head banging going on? Or yeah, you know what? For me, whenever I always try to get down on the floor when I go to a concert. But uh, whenever I'm in the seats, I get kind of worried that I'm going to be stuck with a bunch of people that want to sit. You know, because right. I'm really a stand guy. I just can't imagine going to a rock and roll show, <laughs> let alone a Metallica show, and sitting in your mm-hmm. seat watching the band play. To me, it's such a um, participation event yeah. when you go to a rock concert. Luckily for me, uh, everybody wanted to stand, um, so it was great. And uh, as I looked around the crowd, it was kind of dark most of the time until yeah, they got to Master where they brought the lights up. So it's hard to see. The one I was kind of focused on and which really kind of ticked me off was in the front row – off to my right, on the floor, in the front row, there were like four people that were just sitting the whole time. And I just can't even begin to imagine what those people were thinking, that you're going to go get front row tickets to the Metallica S&M 2 show, and you're just going to sit there in the front row the whole time. Uh, but other than that, it looked like everybody was having a great time. Uh, I can't say there was a lot of head banging. Right, yeah. Um, uh, for me, yes, but uh, it was more of a kind of a groove feel um, you know, and they didn't play like a lot of the thrashers like Battery and Seek and Destroy and, you know, some of these super thrashy headbanging songs. So, uh, but the crowd was great. I'm sure it was better the second night uh, with just the Fifth Club members. But mm-hmm. uh, obviously you're still a big Metallica fan if you're at this show. So I thought the crowd, I had no no uh, arguments about how the crowd participated or or uh, experience the music. I thought the crowd was was really great. Now, the next song would be where this dear Alf Metallica host would go grab a beer. Maybe oh a change. Even at S&M 2. This, is, <laughs> this <laughs> is where I would have tackled you. <laughs> Look, there's, there's no lines. I'm going to get a chase and a cap. You know, I'm going to make the most of my time. But how, how was uh, Outlaw Torn? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, once they started with that whole, you know, the beginning is so, well, first the strings come in yeah. um, with that kind of like, you know, when the strings come in in the beginning. And so instantly I know what's about to happen. And and this is when the, the, the kind of the, the, the eyes start to tear up a little bit. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do this. I need to see what's happening. And, and yeah, Outlaw Torn was great. I think I passed out at some point during the song. And uh, it, like I said, it was just one of the two I really wanted to hear. I thought they were going to play it because they had played it uh, one of their last shows yeah. in Germany. They had played it, I think, for the first time in like eight years or so. So that kind of signaled to me that, yeah, they wanted to get in one live performance before S&M 2. So I was pretty confident. And plus, this is this song is just perfect for the orchestra. Uh, it just has such a groovy, slow, hypnotic feel to it. Um, and it's really just lends itself to the orchestra being in there. And that's why I loved it so much off the original. Um, and I don't know, did you not like the, the one with the orchestra or, is, or are your complaints more with the, the actual? Yeah, it's it? just oh, with the version. pure, yeah, the, the, the ingredients. It, it doesn't matter the sauce on top, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, that's fine. So mm-hmm. for me, it was, I, I loved it. It was great. I was on cloud nine and I really just wanted to watch the orchestra. I just wanted to watch, you can't watch everything at one time. So <laughs> you kind of have to pick and choose what you're looking for. And in from, from beginning to end, I thought it was perfect. And, uh, that was 
that in that in the beginning of the show with uh, with ecstasy and Cthulhu was uh, was my highlight. So no leaf clovers next, which yeah, so glad they dusted that off. But we didn't get any minus human. I mean, do both guys? Come on. I do they have they ever even played minus human outside of the original? That's I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think so. Let me just double check that. But ha- how was uh, no leaf clover? No Leaf Clover was great, and I was I was I was very happily surprised because I thought once memory remains memory remains past, and they didn't go into No Leaf Clover. I thought the transition from that to No Leaf Clover was so perfect that they would do it that way. So I thought ah, we're probably not going to get No Leaf Clover, but uh, but they did, and and I noticed that, uh, and I went back and looked, and I'm pretty sure Kirk busted out that Peter Green Les Paul guitar. Ooh. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with that uh, guitar that he has. Mm-hmm. He paid something like a million to two million dollars for that guitar, the the uh, the Peter Green from Fleetwood yeah, Mac, yeah. Uh, Les Paul. I went back and compared the video to the picture of the guitar, and I'm 99 percent sure it's the same one. So that was kind of cool that he busted that guitar out. He goes right down into the crowd for the solo with that greeny guitar, and uh, this is the one part that I thought James was a little tough because he does that like falsetto. I was going to say, did he hit any of those notes? Or? No, not really. No. And yeah, unfortunately, I mean, he is twenty years older than he used to be, and he's not really used to singing in a falsetto. It might be the only falsetto type thing in their entire catalog, so it was a little bit rough on the vocals. <laughs> but uh, but I'm look, I'm willing to let all that stuff slide. It was great. I loved watching it, and the orchestra was great. And that's another. Uh, part of the show or another song where the orchestra really is able to complement and add to the song and make it better. And the final song of the first set was Halo on Fire, which really cool to see them, you know, putting out a new song there to close it. And, you know, I imagine especially the, the outro of this track was pretty epic. Yeah, absolutely. And we all should have predicted this one. Uh, this This is a great song to add the orchestra into. And I really thought the band was super into it. Uh, James got right down in front of the crowd and played the sing-along, the sing-along part at the end. You know, the hello darkness, say goodbye, the whole crowd screaming it and Rob down into the crowd and stuff. Uh, that was awesome. Yeah, that was fantastic. The other thing I didn't quite mention was the stage was slowly i think just the metallica part of the stage was slow no i think the whole thing was slowly rotating so uh if you were looking at the stage you couldn't see it move at all but if you looked 10 minutes later lars was facing 90 degrees to your right and all of a sudden he's facing right at you so that was kind of a cool little element that the stage ever so slowly was rotating um so you got to kind of see different things uh throughout the show as you had the kind of a different angle and how long was the break between the sets? It was like 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, I think it probably stretched it out a little bit longer. Um, yeah, I used it to just kind of go grab a drink or use the restroom. My wife was got back into the merch line. She tried to buy some stuff before the show, but the line was insanely long and was not moving at all. So she tried a second time to go buy some merchandise, which she was finally able to get up there. Uh, so that was actually kind of cool. I'm, I'm assuming that has to be some kind of union rules for the uh, orchestra that they need to take uh, some kind of intermission. So, yeah, it didn't bother me. It was kind of fun. You got to go out and chat with other Metallica fans. What would you like? What would you not like? So, uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. And the set, too, opened with the orchestra performing, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, the Scythian Suite. The second movement, yeah. which is a Prokofiev cover. I mean, did yeah. you? Like, I'm, not, I'm not a classical music guy. I don't know if you are, but did you recognize any of these melodies? Was it familiar, or was it just kind of this interesting flourish? Like, nope, not familiar at nope. all. Uh, Lars kind of came back out. Uh, he was the first one back after the intermission. Grabbed the mic. He kind of explained what was going to happen. That they're, you know, they're going to let them the the orchestra do a few things, and then the uh, the Michael Tilson Thomas, who's the music director for the yeah. San Francisco Symphony, he did not conduct the first uh, the first section of that. Um, and he did conduct the second section of it. Uh, so he came on and kind of explained that uh, he just kind of introduced the songs. Uh, they were going to play a Prokofiev tune. And um, the cool thing I thought was once the orchestra started playing, Lars actually left the stage and went and stood right in the front row with Love. fans oh. watching watching the first uh, bit which i thought was super cool that's and great. i'm thinking man if you're that fan that stand that just had those seats <laughs> now all of a sudden lars is standing right with you watching the show he had a couple of bodyguards with him and oh, stuff yeah, but yeah. uh but uh, which i don't know that that's all necessary i mean these are 
these are pretty sophisticated Metallica fans. Yeah. If you're if you're on the floor for that show, it's not wild a bunch of wild drunkards. But anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. He went and stood down there with the fans. And Iron Foundry was next. And from what I gather, um, Michael uh, the, the Tilson he sort of spoke about futurism. Is that right? And kind of spoke about yeah, that idea. Yeah, he, yeah. He made a speech about how there's there's a lot of isms in music and I, a classic classicalism, and uh, I can't even remember some of the other ones. But mm-hmm. he said the, one of my favorites is futurism, and so they kind of played this piece, this Iron Foundry, which uh, included the band, but it was kind of a, almost like a uh, a Wizard of Oz type marching chaotic. Uh, piece that included the band, which was kind of cool. So mm. now uh, Metallica is kind of supporting the uh, orchestra instead of the other way around. Uh, and so that was kind of cool. You yeah. know, it was it was unique and interesting, and uh, kind of uh, explains how Metallica is not really afraid to do unique things and take a lot of risks. And uh, yeah, so they probably had fun just kind of blending in the background and supporting the orchestra. Yeah, and that's a song by Alexander Mosolov, I believe, who who was a futurist. Com- I mean, futurism is something that covers so many things like poetry and painting and music and architecture and stuff like that. But yeah, that's really cool that they sort of supported the orchestra. Definitely want to check yeah. that out as well. Um, Unforgiven Free, getting back into familiar territory now was the third song on the second set. Yeah, so now the band leaves the, the the stage except for James, but now he's standing there. He, he doesn't have a guitar. He's got no instrument, and you, so you're you're really curious as what to, what's about to happen uh, because he was obviously getting prepared for something. So once he starts singing "Unforgiven Three, you're like, all right, this is pretty cool. The orchestra, this "Unforgiven Three is obviously a fan favorite and a song they don't play a lot. And it was kind of funny watching James try to figure out like how to stand or what to do with his hands or, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, he's obviously used to playing with a guitar and, and he, he doesn't have to think about those things, but he, it may have been a little awkward for him kind of shifting and hands behind his back, hands in front, hands by the mic. Uh, but yeah, that was a great performance. And, uh, yeah, that was really, that was really cool. I think when the DVD comes out or you're able to get that song in some kind of listenable form, I think that's going to be a really cool thing to have to, uh, as just a fan, just to hear that version of that song. Now, you know, I would, if, if I would have been, I wouldn't have been, but if I would have been on the piss break, I would have charged back into the arena upon <laughs> hearing all within my hands, uh, coming on tour debut acoustic with Avi Vinacore. Do, do you know who this was? Yeah, he was, um, he was one of the backup musicians for the acoustic set that they did, the All Within My Hands acoustic okay, set yeah, that yeah. they did in cool. 2018. Was it 2018? I think so, yeah. Um, uh, that was a fundraiser for the All Within My Hands charity. He was one of the backup singers, so they brought him back as a backup singer for this. And now James has a guitar, uh, an acoustic guitar for it. And yeah, this was a really cool version. Uh, it's it's it's. I'm not a th- I'm not. That's not one of my favorite songs. Uh, I did go back and reintroduce myself to the song, and the album version is a lot different than what they did with the orchestra, but I thought it was a really good version. It's it's a lot different, and I think this is going to be another one where when you get the song that you're able to listen to in your headphones and you're in, in, or in your car, something like that, this is going to be a song that uh, that might end up being one of the standout spots in the whole show mm, mm. yeah i'm just on this guy's twitter now he's got 200 followers like this is a complete oh, wow. nobody who was on stage with metallica <laughs> like i love that love that love that they did it as well um and uh anesthesia followed which was yeah. the first performance i think in like six years and, well yeah yeah but this this was really special they brought up one of the one of the uh the lead bassist for the orchestra uh scott pingle and um, he brought a big stand-up bass. They took about five minutes to set it up, a chair, a mic. He had a, actually an effects pedal down there. And James grabs the mic and says something about Cliff Burton. He says, you know, Cliff Burton would love this. And as soon as he said Cliff Burton, I thought, Orion, they're going to play Orion. This is going to be great. Uh, it didn't turn out that way, but this was still incredibly special. So this guy just kind of solos playing Anesthesia and kind of doing a, a Cliff tribute and it was phenomenal. And then at the end, like in the actual anesthesia, Lars comes up and joins in and they kind of they, they kind of uh, close that song out. But it was so cool. Yeah. I wait till you see this. This is this is going to blow you away when you get to the theater. Uh, this part, mm-hmm. because uh, this was fantastic. It, I loved it. Yeah. It says here bass solo by Scott Pingle. He was one yeah. of the guys involved. Yeah. 
That's so yeah, cool. he's the lead bassist for the orchestra, and he nailed it. And he had an effects pedal, so he had an electric bass. So early yeah. on, he kind of hits – the first thing he does is he just hits this low hum of a note. And you're still not quite sure what he's going to play. And he kind of goes into a little bassy thing. And then he kind of hits that. Uh-huh. Oh, my God, it's anesthesia. <laughs> and then he hits. He plays that for a little bit. And then he hits that crazy wah pedal that if you've ever watched Cliff play anesthesia, at some point he hits the wah pedal and it just starts screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he actually performs all that with the wah pedal. So the crowd loved it. They were Same. going nuts. And then near the end, Lars joins in and they end the song. And that was awesome. So, you know, set two is a set of two halves, really. So the first five songs are quite experimental forays, uh, both compositionally and in terms of their production. But, um, you know, we end with just five mega hits, uh, kicking off with Wherever I May Roam. Yeah, so when the when the bass solo ends, again, you're kind of this anticipation. And when, you know, the, the orchestra kind of kicks in, I'm like, oh, that's familiar. I remember that from S&M 1. And then obviously that sitar goes you immediately know it's Rome, and uh, that was pretty cool. And that was when the audience kind of got back into it a little bit, and uh, everybody stands up and starts going nuts. But that was the crowd was really into that song, a great sing-along, everybody singing the lyrics. This was probably the first one where the ent- you can just hear the entire arena screaming all the lyrics to the song. So this was this was a great choice, and it worked really, really well. Into one. Yeah, and the cool thing about one was they did that intro, uh, kind of the the gunfire stuff. They did that all live mm-hmm. with the orchestra, oh. with a lot of the percussion and the drums. Oh, that's and, crazy! Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And it didn't obviously it didn't sound a lot like the original, but mm. you could tell it was one. You could tell it was that part, and uh, that was really cool. I'm anxious for you to hear that and see what your thoughts are because to hear that again, that's a part. Whenever you go to the show, you're getting a tape, a recorded version of that intro. So to hear that live and hear the crashes and the drums and the pop, 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 and have it to be all live, that was pretty cool. And you knew that was one, so you're trying to get ramped up for that song. Yeah, I'm excited for that. One is probably my favorite S&M cut, uh, especially the intro when James's riff comes in and the strings swell. It's a real heart-in-mouth moment. I, I, it's very, very special. Um, Master next. I mean, bloody hell. Like You guys were getting yeah. bludgeoned <laughs> with, with just genius. Yeah, and the cool thing was they changed the atmosphere a little bit for this one. They brought the lights up, uh, which is always really effective because you're kind of in the dark the whole time and you're focused on the stage. And when you're at a, with a big crowd and the lights come up, you kind of look around and you go, whoa, this is what we've been sitting in this entire time with all these people. So uh, that was cool. Uh, a lot of times James does that whole thing where he lets the crowd sing that first few parts, mm-hmm. especially the chorus, but he was into it, man. He sang the parts and the crowd uh, screamed along with him. And uh, this has one of my favorite sections of any piece of music of all time was that last, that part between the second chorus and the that double bass part, just that kind of groovy part where they're just kind of jamming leading up to that uh, you know darkness you know um i love that section and uh, to be able to see that live was so cool and they played it perfect and uh that was that was another highlight for me was that song you know and at, at the end of the day this is just another metallica concert not to denigrate in any way and it has to end with nothing else matters and enter summer yeah and i was kind of hoping i know they kind of have to do that with the shows because as, as many hardcore fans as they have, they do have those fans that probably know four songs from Metallica mm-hmm. and two of them are always nothing else matters. And, uh, and, uh, enter Sandman. I really wish they had taken this opportunity to just say, forget that this is one night. We do not need to play those two songs, even though they're great songs. I have nothing against those songs, but, uh, I would have loved to have seen, they ended with battery on the original one. That yeah. would have been awesome. I would have loved to have seen them pick two other songs that they could have included to try something new or try something old from the first one. But uh, look, in the end, nobody's complaining. The crowd's singing along to both those songs. And uh, it's a familiar place if you're a Metallica fan and have been to a lot of shows. So uh, I don't have a complaint. Would have liked to have seen two new songs, but um, but uh, those were great. Those were great as well. A good, Two good songs to get the audience going with, too. And the Afraid of Sanity, Afraid of Sanity outro, is that right? And then Man. Yeah, the weird. Here's the weird part. When they got to the end, or when they got before Sandman, they brought uh, a set of keyboards onto the stage. You know, like a Casio keyboard on a stand. And I remember thinking, what in God's name is a keyboard doing on a Metallica stage? And at the very end, that outro, 
they had the uh, that the uh, the original conductor, which uh, what was his name? Uh, Edwin Outwater was okay. the first conductor, and he went back and took over conducting duties. And then Michael Tilson Thomas went over to the keyboards and just kind of hit a couple of notes on that keyboard. So he was on stage playing with the band. That was a little weird, but it let him get involved with a little of the playing instead, just the conducting. But I remember being very confused as to how are they going to work a Casio keyboard into the, into a Metallica song, but uh, you didn't really notice it, but uh, that's how they kind of ended the show and the lights are up and the crowd's going crazy and you kind of knew it was the end. So uh, it was a good way to end the show. And when the lights went up, like was everyone just in disbelief? Did that actually happen? Like, yeah, you you know they kind of waved goodbye and you know did the obligatory toss the drumsticks out and picks and stuff like that, and yeah, it's just a cheer fest, you know, until they kind of head off the stage. I remember we just kind of lingered there for a little while just because you know you didn't want the night to end, so uh, you just kind of ended the night and and moseyed on out where we went outside the arena. There was kind of an impromptu, a bunch of people from fan clubs from around the world suddenly just kind of gathered, and there was this staircase that uh that led to i don't know what it led to outside the arena it really kind of led to nothing hmm. but probably a hundred or so fans from around the world just gathered on that staircase with all their flags and all their banners and just took like a, a big group photo so that was kind of cool to be a part of that and uh see how many people had shown up from around the world for the show and and uh, you realize uh, how special it was and you again then you start to get envious of the people that were going to go tonight too as well so it was fantastic, and uh, yeah, the whole night from beginning to end was uh, the whole week from beginning to end was was wonderful. You saw something historic there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it's, so was somebody who was it? Uh, I, I just was reading an article before we started mm. about somebody. Might have been one of the. Uh, it might have been Edwin Outwater who talked about thinking assuming that they were going to do this more times now if you remember the original snm one they did at berkeley but then they did a few more performances the, of that yeah, around they did the world. New, new york and and germany i think they did yeah, yeah i believe so so he made some comment that i just read right before we we started this that led me to believe that maybe they'll do the same thing yeah. and recreate this a couple times so maybe you'll get lucky and uh and they'll do another one out in uh, in uh, in england yeah 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 i can definitely see them doing it in like the royal albert hall or something like that like and i think i think lars would get a big buzz off playing there and you know it's just what why not as well the demand is ginormous and um yeah i'm seeing it i think in like two or three weeks october 9th i think that is um yeah, yeah. I, 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 i'll look out for you uh, i'm not quite sure what i'm not quite sure what you actually look like so i don't think that'd be the best plan of action but but still no yeah. I'm, I'm really hyped to see that and um i mean any 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 final thoughts like any anything you want to sum up because like i just yeah that, uh, hopefully in 20 odd years i'll take my son i don't have a child yet to snm free you know but uh who knows yeah, no, it's it's it's. I'm thankful to to be a fan of a band that does stuff like this. Uh, you know, they really are such a fan friendly band, and they're a band that's willing to take chances and do things that are unique and creative, and do things that that they may fail on. You know, uh, but the fact that they they do do these kinds of things, and then even when they had the the ticket snafu with week with night one, they decide to add a fan only show with week two with night two. And uh, it's it's great to be a fan of a band that re you really get the sense that they appreciate their fans, even though they're probably the biggest band in the world, certainly the biggest rock band in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so it, you just feel a sense of being really grateful that uh, that that first one meant so much to me, and that I got to see the second one. It's uh, I, even as I, I I sit here now, I'm I'm grateful to have been able to go and be there and experience that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Todd, this has been great, and you know, I know. Um... MUYP are doing their own recap. I think with Chris Yerges actually, and there'll be loads of other podcasts out there. And I'm really excited to hear what other people thought of the show and what the second night was like as well. Um, I guess finally yourself. I mean, I know you're kind of a professional broadcaster, but is there anything you'd like to promote or? Uh, no, not really. Uh, we do. I mentioned this on the first podcast. My buddy and I, Mitch and I, we have our own music podcast called Song Voyage. We did do an Outlaw Torn Bleeding Me episode. Okay. It, we kind of have different tastes in music, so we kind of introduce each other to our favorite music. And he was not a Metallica fan at all, so probably much to your chagrin the song that i chose to introduce him to was outlawed torn and my blood my blood is boiling the... right now i'll just tell you <laughs> but he did love it and he actually went with me to the show so uh 
uh, it was kind of a chance for him to go experience Metallica show for the first time. And he was blown away. And now he's actually a pretty big Metallica fan. And he's kind of going back through all their music and the catalog and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's fun to talk about this stuff. It's fun to analyze this stuff. And I actually really enjoy the fact that all these podcasts pop up and it gives a vehicle for regular fans like ourselves to just kind of talk about these things and hash them out and form a community of friends and people that you never met before. And, and, uh, I think it's fantastic. So, uh, I enjoy your podcast. I enjoy all the other ones. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, that we're able to talk about these things. No, no, thanks. And yeah, it's, I always say this, it's one of the most underrated things about music, talking about music. Like, obviously it's great yeah. to listen to it and watch it and whatever, but just chatting about songs just you know, gives me and I'm sure yourself and everyone else so much joy. And yeah, Song Voyage, people go check that out. Just looking through now. Oh, Marquee Moon episode. I have to listen to that. What a record. Uh, yeah, oh, the, the Ballad of Dorothy Parker as well by The Prince. Is that like a whole episode on that song? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we kind of get into the bands themselves. Also, we talk about Prince and the history. But yeah, a lot of it is going through the song, li- listening to the lyrics, uh, analyzing them, talking about them. And the, the, the point for me is, is that this is the first time I'm hearing Ballad of Dorothy Parker is leading up to this okay, podcast yeah. because he's a big Prince fan. So he says... My choice this episode, I want to do Prince, I want to do Ballad of Dorothy Parker. And then I go, well, I want to do Iron Maiden, I want to do Phantom of the Opera because uh-huh. you've never heard Iron Maiden before. And you have the Phantom of the Opera. So we kind of introduce each other to, to our favorite music because our music genres don't cross exactly. We do have areas where we, we have fans of the same band, but there's so many areas of song that, of music that I'm passionate about that he knows nothing about and vice versa. So that's what's kind of fun about the podcast. We haven't done one for a while. Uh, we, we we do have one on tap, a, a Joni Mitchell episode Ooh. that uh, I do hope to uh, to record here in the next couple of weeks and call it uh, season two and uh, get back going. What what song is going to be the focus of that one? It is. Uh, uh, oh my god, I'm drawing a blank because it's his. Uh, it's his song. It's his song. I can't okay, remember yeah, what yeah. song it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I apologize. It's it's his song. It's his choice. Uh, it's a Joni Mitchell song off. Uh, the uh off like her second album oh blue uh, yeah the the one everyone loves yeah, yeah blue yeah yeah but mm-hmm. it's one of the lesser known songs off that album and, okay. and and i've been listening to it but uh but uh, we decided on it a couple months ago just haven't got around to recording it and so i need to refamiliarize with myself with my notes and stuff but i can't remember what song it is i'm, I'm, I'm court and spark is the is that the album oh okay that's court and spark album. slightly later yeah yeah i think that's like the third or yeah fourth yeah record. that's yeah, the album yeah. it's off of yeah, yeah. and i so we'll hope to have that out soon okay looking forward to that and i just looked as well and there is a joni mitchell podcast out there Apparently. oh nice yeah yeah and it's quite popular there's quite a lot of episodes <laughs> so i might have to go oh. and give that a listen so it looks like it hasn't uploaded for a little while but um yeah as always guys um you know go and see snm2 at your local cineplex i'm sure what you're playing it's playing around the world i think i saw on twitter recently there was a photo in some japanese record shop of a big snm2 poster and all the japanese cinemas you can go to and you know it's fucking metallicas it's gonna be every country will have somewhere you can go see it um buy the dvd if you listen to this in the future or you know stream it or whatever support this band support these incredible concerts go to your local chase center if you're in the san francisco area watch a game see eric clapton you know i, I don't know what the hell's going on there but uh yeah todd this has been great um you know as always follow us at metallica pod patreon itunes spotify all that sort of stuff check out the ride the lightning episode as well that we did um yeah todd thanks again tom i can't thank you enough for having me on and good luck as you uh, kind of wind down with your uh, you're getting near the end really close to the end now like yeah about two months away nice i know nice well good luck the rest of the way man i'll keep listening all right all right thanks again todd